Today's swap a number is 25,000. That's the number of days off our pilots have involuntarily given up since the beginning of the pandemic. On today's show, we decided to talk to SRC Chair Scott Feiler and member Dan O'Connor about this troubling trend, as well as getting some other scheduling updates. We're recording this show in Austin while the NC is in active negotiations, and Kurt is downstairs in the room, and therefore unavailable. So sharing hosting duties with me today is SWAPA SRC Manager Megan Neely. Double state all three, turn left, heading a 140, runway 22 left, clear for takeoff. Clear for takeoff, 22 left, left turn, 140, stop with I'm Amy Robinson. And I'm Megan Nealon, and here's our interview with Scott and Dan. So we've heard several different numbers as far as pilots leaving Southwest. What's the real scoop there? As of this week, uh, we've had 61 pilots uh, leave since December 2021 when we uh, started hiring again. Uh, That's uh, 39 new hires, uh, 25 of which were hired this year, and 14 were in the two classes in December. Uh, We've actually had 12 pilots leave in the last month. So those are the real numbers. We're hearing things coming out of training that only 11 pilots have left, but that's actually not the case. It's a little troubling to hear hear those numbers because we're really hoping that those aren't being used by leadership to form opinions and make decisions because uh, it's definitely leaving the wrong impression. So Dan, Scott just said 61 have left, but those weren't all new hires, right? No, Megan, actually we've had 39 new hires leave since we started rehiring last December, 2021. So actually what's more telling and maybe just as concerning is we've actually had 22 pilots of the three to five year tenure that have left. It's included in that 61. So the company should be concerned not only with new hires leaving, but also with pilots that have been here for a few years deciding to leave for other airlines. Are we collecting any feedback from those departures on what's driving their decision to leave? We are. Uh, we do reach out to the pilots that leave, and we do keep a log of their responses. Obviously, everyone leaves for different reasons. Many are concerned about the operation they've experienced the last few years. Others list other reasons, such as they want to live where they're domiciled, that sort of thing. But we do keep track of those and share those with the company. Would you say that those sort of this, the questions that I'm seeing come up most often are, oh, they're just leaving because they wanted to fly bigger jets or whatever. Would you say that's accurate, Scott? Well, that's in their own words. It, it, it's accurate, but it also tells you something that they think they're, they have better pastures going somewhere else. They'll be able to upgrade faster. They'll be able to fly bigger equipment. They have a, a greater career earnings potential by going somewhere else than by staying here at Southwest Airlines. And like Scott said earlier, a concern with these numbers not matching, we're not exactly sure where, the, where they get their information. Uh, we've cross-checked ours is that leadership may be getting the wrong numbers and making incorrect decisions based on those numbers. Just to give an example of some of the things we see that we think are wrong with the company's data, uh, we don't think they're cross-checking all of their data sources. So um, we had a new hire that was uh, just finishing up his initial training. And he quit on October 28th. Uh, He subsequently was awarded a line for December uh, two weeks later. Uh, So, and they still don't have a a QT bar, a quit bar on his CWA schedule. 
but we cross-check our data with uh, you know a benefits and a dues feed, and that did show that he was terminated, that he had left. So it seems like one hand's not talking to the other, and they, they're having trouble even keeping track of who's actually here and who isn't. So it makes us make some of their their talking points about how many pilots have left uh, a little bit suspect. So kind of pivoting off of that, we've we've covered this in some other areas, but in terms of in negotiations, are you seeing any any concern about the fact that we are losing pilots like that? At the table in negotiations, there doesn't seem to be very much concern on the company side at all. They they do seem to be a little bit in denial that we have a brewing problem of attracting and retaining pilots. Certainly, they're filling up the classes right now, but when we're losing folks in record numbers like this and it's accelerating, it's a little bit concerning for SWAPA. We've been trying to warn them and the problem's getting worse, but uh, we don't don't see any real acknowledgement of that, no. There definitely does seem to be some denial or at least not the willingness to to accept that and admit it. As you know, we talk to all the new hire classes when they come over to SWAPA and something that we ask them is, why did you come here to Southwest? And back in December, we started hiring. There was quite a bit of, of, well, I wanted to come to Southwest. I've always wanted to come here, a lot of passion for it. Lately, it's been more of, well, this is the first airline that called me, and I'm keeping my options open. Uh, so we are concerned about this trend for the future. So you mentioned that we've we've discussed some of this attrition data with the company and negotiations. What other areas uh, have been data-driven that have facilitated some of the discussions and mediation? Well, Megan, it, obviously we are uh, constantly trying to uh, match our data sets to make sure we're all making decisions and negotiating um, off of the same data. Sometimes it's easier than others. Uh, for example, uh, we did recently receive some data runs in the area of schedule planning, uh, which we are going to be going through shortly with the company. This is after two years of requesting them, but we started getting them recently which uh, will allow us to craft the language and work with them uh, to see if we can come to some agreements there. But other areas such as JA, uh, we do measure those slightly different in that the company will count a two-day JA as one event, but we count the duty periods lost to the pilots. So that's why sometimes our numbers don't align perfectly is because we look at some of the data in different ways. So we wanna make sure that we're coming together before we make any decisions on these issues. The trends are unmistakable. Obviously, the, our podcast is you know 25,000 days lost to JA and unscheduled overnight JA. When we see the latest flight ops dashboard that claimed that JA was at its lowest point in October since May, but our data shows that October had more JA duty periods than we did in July, uh, we start to really wonder about what metrics they're actually looking at and and it's not even so much are they measuring it that we're so totally apart from how we're seeing things that it makes it difficult for us to have a shared mental model so to speak of how the operation is actually running when we're still seeing things so differently in our data sets so in regards to negotiations how are they going i mean you're saying the mental model is not necessarily always shared in, in terms of data but how are they overall going in your opinion well, since we started mediation, we, we have been making progress in uh, several areas. We actually were able to finish up uh, AIP on the vacation section this week, trying to get important things like you know minimum requirements for how many weeks being offered, uh, getting those uh, higher for the areas 
you know, of the year where pilots want to have more vacation. Uh, we were also able to secure a nice uh, IT touch, um, trying to get uh, vacation line tuner basically uh, into our contract. So we're hoping that that opens up for more tech touches for pilot quality of life, because if we can't fly the larger metal, we need to have a better pilot experience while they're here. Also, like we mentioned earlier, we did recently receive some data from the company showing us the impact of our planning proposals on how the pairings we be built, specifically allowing things uh, like commutable pairings, AM, PM definition, things like that, that we hear complaints from our pilots all the time. And uh, in our estimation, a lot of these proposals from contract 2020 in the planning area are reasonable and would take very little investment to provide some pretty good gains for our pilots in quality. I'm going to ask this question of Megan, even though she's hosting. So I know that one of the things that they did gain earlier was automating LRF, but they still have not actually gotten that done. Is that correct? That's correct. So the MOU agreement where we were able to get that ask in to automate it doesn't require them to implement it until June of 2023. We've had I want to say one meeting where we've talked about, you know, design and how it should work. And that went well, but they're still just, they're holding on to this, this mindset of, well, we don't have to use it. All we did was agree to automate it. And that's just unfortunate because it would actually help crew schedulers with uh, unwinding disruptions. So it's good for the airline, it's good for the pilots and, you know, going to that shared mental model, we're just not there. So in the upcoming mediation sessions, I know we're going to be getting more into the scheduling sections. Could y'all expand on that? Well, like Scott said earlier, we were able to come to an AIP in the vacation section. We will be starting scheduling planning, and that's where we'll start to get into the real meat of our scheduling asks. And as you were mentioning, you know, last resort flying, we, we still don't think they have a sense of how to modernize their operation. I know Jody likes to say that we're trying to offer point-to-point solutions uh, for a point-to-point network. Our, our operation is vastly different than it was 20 years ago when I got hired. And you know, between ETOPS and International, we now have 120 stations, but only 11 bases. We absolutely need to, to take a look at everything that we're doing in scheduling from planning all the way through day of operations and try to find better ways to manage the operation, set our operation up for success, and then deliver. Um, that's good for our customers. That's good both our passengers and our internal customers, you know, pilots, flight attendants. So LRF was just one of those items. It's something that we, we've actually been proposing to the company for, gosh, six, seven years. We, we proposed this to Oliver Wyman Group back in 2017. So a lot of this stuff isn't new. A lot of this stuff is things that pilots have asked for, and it's also things that we've done research on, and, and we feel they could be very beneficial to the operation. They would just become a little more open to change. Do you think that in these next few sessions, you might be able to get them more toward the idea of modernizing their technology? I think in recent sessions, uh, since we started mediation, uh, we've seen a little more willingness to explore some of these ideas instead of a no. It's, well, we understand your proposal. Here's our concerns. How can we find a way to make that work? One thing I know that we keep emphasizing is that we're not just trying to get stuff for pilots. Some of this stuff is good for crew planning. It's good for schedulers. And if we get it in our contract, it helps all of us do better. I think one of our biggest challenges is going to be 
getting the company to see that our proposals all work together holistically. They will often pick one or another of the proposals individually and say, this is too expensive or this won't work. It, I think the challenge is going to be making them realize that it's all supposed to work together. Obviously, there's some specific proposals that are quality of life improvements for the pilot, especially in the area of like reserve. We've proposed reserve elit and we've uh, proposed um, pilots being able to bid on trips that they fly, that sort of thing, and, and releasing till check-in. But uh, some of them are designed to work together to make the operation run smoother, um, especially in the areas like they just talked about, LRF, and combining that with like VDT, our voluntary double-time flying. We see all these things working together for a smoother operation. So Scott, there was just as much day in October as there was in July. Why do you think that happened? Well, we saw a couple things there. One is, even though they've slowed down the expansion of the schedule, network planning is still trying to fly as an aggressive a schedule as they can. That's understandable because demand for air travel is is extremely high right now. We see that in the load factors, you know, even for the 5 a.m. departures, they're, they're, all the flights are generally pretty full. So there is that business pressure. At the same time, it's funny, we just finished up vacations and, try, you know, we were trying to get a flat distribution, you know, to kind of smooth out the, the vagaries of it. Um, as you know, there tends to be a lot of vacation in January, February, and oh my, October. So when we're flying a very aggressive schedule and we have a glut of vacations in October, it turned into a problem where yet again, we didn't have enough bodies to cover the bid lines. When we have too much reserve, which we've, we've also been complaining that our reserve is too high, we didn't have enough blank lines to cover all of the vacation drops from the first round. So that all passed by the blank lines, went into ELIT and open time, and then had to be covered as open time. And as you know, you know our schedules have been pretty dense, <laughs> so it's difficult for you to move your schedules to begin with to create space for open time, and then a lot of pilots aren't legal for it. And unfortunately, when we have any kind of hiccup in the system, we only have reserves in 11 bases, but we have 120 stations. Our reserves aren't always in the correct position to recover the operation. And that's why we continue to see a lot of disruptions. Certainly we had a hurricane, but even just, you know, regular, you know, fall storms still are causing a lot of issues. So in negotiations, you said you don't have a shared mental model, but um, what, are, what are some of the arguments against the scheduling asks specifically? I know you said cost was one of them as a pull out of a specific piece, but what are some of the other arguments against? Well, one of the arguments that we hear quite a bit is that they are f afraid to lose some of their flexibility, but we're trying to show them that by giving pilots more flexibility, it would actually help them in the end. It'll give them more opportunity to pick up uh, flying to help out the operation. Another thing that we hear over and over again is, well, that's a tech touch and that's a tech touch. And our, our CEO, Bob Jordan, came from IT. He's said that we need to modernize our systems, our processes, and modernize our, you know, our IT, our airline's a complicated beast that we need to have technology to help us manage all these processes. It's almost insane how many manual processes we still do in crew planning and crew scheduling. I mean, one place, you know, Swapa automated a payroll audit. You would think that a Fortune 500 company could automate their payroll 
uh, make sure pilots and their employees are being paid correctly. That's just one example, but you know, tech touch after tech touch, anything that we ask requires some kind of change to programming. Well, yeah, it sure does, but how's it working for you right now? An example in negotiations is we were seeking a fixed date for the vacancy to close every month. But their pushback was they need as many days as possible to make changes up to the last minute when they receive these these changes from network planning. And our question, one, is we'd like a fixed date. Maybe you can push back on network planning and make them give you these decisions earlier. And two, maybe your system shouldn't be so fragile that moving three or four pilots from, from domicile to domicile is that big of a deal. So in the past, you guys have said that you had a pretty good relationship with crew planning. Would you say that's still the case? And Megan, feel free to chime in on this one too. Well, it's certainly not contentious when we can be rather frank and blunt with each other and we don't have our feelings hurt. We present them with a lot of recommendations. They don't take all of them. There might be tech touch involved even in that. And so we do see them trying a few things, but there's things that we request over and over and over, and it just hasn't come to fruition. Um, We were talking about the October schedule and all the JAs in October. It was actually kind of refreshing. We've been trying to tell them to reduce the reserve manning and increase their blank line manning so they can, you know, even increase their hard line manning so we won't have our schedules as locked up. And um, they actually, their analysts um, told us at our October meeting that they saw that the reserves aren't, weren't being they weren't able to use the reserves as effectively, so they were going to decrease the reserves and increase the blank lines. And, and we were like, huh, yeah. Well, and to add color to that, we presented them some data, I want to say a year and a half ago, when they started increasing their reserve manning with our concerns that this wasn't going to be beneficial for the, the outcome of the executed schedule. They finally got there, but it took them a year and a half. They're at least willing to have the discussion with us and listen to our recommendations. That's not always been the case with all the departments over at Southwest. So we appreciate them at least taking recommendations. So speaking of collaboration, so we we meet with crew planning regularly. We started meeting with crew scheduling. How has that been going? Well, it had been a while since we had 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 monthly meetings with the the scheduling side of the house. Um, We had gotten to a point with them where none of our recommendations were being even being considered honestly, and it it started becoming a waste of time. Um, There's a new uh, VP of scheduling. They've kind of shifted departments and we reached out. We've had meetings uh, one-on-one. We've had uh, a couple of meetings now with crew planning, kind of see how we can collaborate, see how we work with them. And it's not in your face. It's not confrontational. You know, we are trying to collaborate and offer solutions because, you know, the better that scheduling does their job, the better the experience is for our pilots. So um, it's been going okay. We did have them open up a little bit and uh, and share some of their scheduling policies that have been uh, pretty much uh, verboten for the past several years. And uh, we were able to kind of take a look at them, make some recommendations on where to tweak those, not with an eye of saying whether this is, you know, contractually correct or not, but more just trying to steer them in the right way, you know, make sure they were compliant, certainly, but try to steer them, hey, maybe there's a a better way to do this or a better customer experience they could provide for our pilots if they, you know, make an adjustment to those policies. We've talked about manning, we've talked about reserve. What sort of progress do you guys believe that FlightOps has made as far as trying to fix the operation just outside of hiring more people. 
We haven't seen the holistic changes yet that we'd like to see. Uh, we've also learned recently that SkySolver, the program itself from GE, does have some capabilities they're not using, such as to match aircraft flows with crews. So we'd like to see that more utilized in the future because to make sure that the crews are in the same spots as the aircraft. It sounds simple, but sometimes that doesn't happen and there's a mismatch and that, especially at the smaller stations, outstations, and that can create uh, major issues. You, you've probably heard um, dispatch uses something called the Baker, which takes into account aircraft maintenance and passenger flows. And they tend to create, in the past, they've created solutions that worked for them. And then they send it over to to crew scheduling, oh, and now you fix your problem, and that's where SkySolver comes in. So sometimes scheduling is actually handed not the best situation to begin with, and it makes it difficult for them to recover. There has been more collaboration between scheduling and dispatch and the NOC uh, in this way, but until we really get the Baker and SkySolver more aligned, um, we're still going to have uh, some of that friction in recovering the operation when there's a mismatch between aircraft and passengers, maintenance needs and, and crew needs. So it's one of those things that we're trying to get provisions in our contract to bring this back to negotiations where not so much that they, they can push back against some of the solutions coming back, but, but where well, our contract says you have to take this into account in your solutions and that should drive, we're trying to drive better solutions from the NOC via our contract. So I regularly get asked to look at my crystal ball and give insight on network and vacancies. What are we seeing over the next six months? What does the schedule look like? We do believe things are stabilizing, uh, especially compared to the last 18 months. I know the bar is pretty low there, but we do feel like there is some stabilization happening, probably more to... Uh, the additional hiring they're doing. As you know, they're pl still planning on 2,160 new hires next year and over 1,100 upgrades. So we do believe this will help. But um, on the flip side, um, the network schedule was just published that goes through the first week of July. will actually exceed the pre-pandemic levels of flying by May. Over half the month, we'll have over 4,200 flights. And the closest we ever got to that was 4,195 in December. So again, we are hiring more, but they continue to add more flying to the schedule. Yeah, certainly if SWA can even come close to their hiring and upgrade plan for next year, they definitely can support that kind of a schedule uh, next spring and next summer, which is good for all of us. Uh, honestly, you know, better seniority for everyone, low movement. As far as where where that growth is coming you know, in the schedule itself, um, we still haven't quite recovered up in the Northeast or in uh, Houston. We expect to see growth, continued growth in Las Vegas and Denver, and uh, probably uh, recovering to pre-pandemic levels in Phoenix and Baltimore and Houston probably by uh, late next year. Beyond that, we can't really predict exactly where all the vacancies are going to go, though we do get asked that a lot. Uh, I don't think crew planning knows uh, beyond just uh, generalities, uh, just because the network schedule does change pretty rapidly sometimes. So I guess I would ask from a customer standpoint, will it solve some of their operational issues, at least on the surface, for some of the higher flying times in summer of next year? Well, it's kind of a yes and no answer to that. Uh, yes, obviously hiring will help, um, but 
seeing that we still have more demand for flying than we have actual flying in our schedule, you know, network planning is still going to be, you know, aggressively trying to add flights. So you know, on the earnings call, they said that right now the, the thing that's holding us back is pilot hiring, you know, just the, the ability to hire um, more pilots. So I think we're still going to see pretty aggressive network schedules, probably still get dense schedules in our bid lines. Um, so, some of that's going to fall on changing some of the processes that we use. You know, if we keep using the same processes we've used for the last 10 years and certainly for the last 18 months, we're, we're probably still going to run into problems. Maybe the schedule will run smoothly, but as soon as we have, you know, a snowstorm in Denver, you know, rain in Houston or, uh, you know, wildfires in California, we're going to, we're going to see the continued disruptions uh, like we have before. And certainly a lot of the proposals we have in scheduling for our contract uh, would help provide some of that additional margin that's been lacking over the last 18 months. Thank you to Scott and Dan for talking with us today. And a special thanks to Megan for filling in for Kurt. It was great having you on this side of the table. Thanks, Amy. It was fun. As usual, we ask if you have any ideas for podcasts or feedback of any kind, please drop us a line at com at swapa.org. We do try to incorporate requests into our planning and always love to hear from our listeners. And finally, today's bonus number is 61. That's the total number of pilots who have left Southwest since they began hiring again in December of 2021. It's just another data point that the company needs to get a deal so that the pilots start looking at Southwest as a place they want to spend their careers. Thank you, Southwest 1223, clear to land.